Hello and welcome to the latest episode of The Run-In. This week we'll be talking to British Sprint Orienteer Charlotte Ward about her 2019 season and how she's building up for the 2020 World Championships in Denmark, the first split-walk sprint world championships. We'll also be discussing the IOF Council and the um, impact of WADA's recommendations regarding Rusada and Russian athletes, as well as looking into the latest results from the Sterling Cross Country and the GB athletes who've been competing there. Um, but firstly, uh, Catherine, Happy New Year 2020. New Year. How's it going? Yeah, it's going well. I've um, just come back from an epic train trip up to Glasgow and back in like the last two days um honestly spent more time on a on a train than off a train it seems like um to go and commentate <laughs> on uh the run sterling events and it was my pleasure to commentate on not just you know your standard cross-country runner but also on many of our finest orienteers as well yeah so we had a a lot of orienteers competing including uh, sasha chaplin jack leach kirsten maxwell but i think the standard uh, the outstanding uh, performers were megan keith pippa carcass and christian jones um i guess let's start off with pippa catherine mm. i um i actually didn't get to see that that race so do you want to give us a kind of an insight into uh, what happened in in pippa's run and um how it all went I kind of knew, tried to catch all the orienteers that were entered on the guidelines. I saw on Pippa was entered, and she, I think, in that race started off in quite a. There was a reasonably big group in the lead, um, and she was part of it. And then, you know, just lots of people kept dropping back and dropping back. And then, um, yeah, there she was, familiar figure of Pippa Carcass, um, you know, in the the front group, and. Um, ended up coming third i think in her race so that was that was really fantastic um to see her doing that one yeah and we also had as you mentioned um megan keith she was in the under 20s race uh in the scottish team and um really went out really hard in the race actually um really went out quite aggressively and was off the front almost immediately um, mm. with um, her Scottish teammate, uh, Kira Gemmell, behind her. Just kind of kept stretching it out. We were, at one point, we were a bit worried that um, that her teammate was kind of catching her, but in the end, she just kept stretching out and stretching out the lead. And it was a great one with a lot of, um, you know, good um, English competition there. Um, definitely, I wouldn't have said that um, Megan was particularly the favourite for that race. She was definitely on our list of ones to watch, but she really managed to cope with the the mud shall we say of the course it honestly it rained like the whole night and most of the morning there's hundreds of cross-country runners going around the same course there's a 2k loop and a 1k loop and oh it just it's got got cut up like anything so managed to keep reasonably stable in amongst all of that and um you know powered through to that win and it was the first ever uh, Scottish win and the under twenty women um, in this um, home nations um, is that right competition first ever Scottish win so um, wow yeah Megan Keith being a really really big part of that and it was um, yeah really great to see that she was able to come out and win that one basically mm, definitely so she's carrying on her good form from the uh, European cross country championships into mm-hmm. the domestic scene as well so big things possibly this year from Megan on a running. Um, standpoint as well as an orienteering one very exciting mm-hmm. and uh, yeah for anyone who's not watched it yet it is all on BBC iPlayer and the mud is quite impressive by just how yeah. sloppy and sapping it looked 
And some of the other races are going to be on um, Vinco Sports as well. Um, but the last race of the day was the men's senior race. And um, with this one featuring yes. the one and only Chris Jones. <laughs> uh, we'd also had Andy Butchart, though, you know, the Scottish uh, yep. national record holder in 3,000, 5,000 metres. Olympic 2016 uh, fight Olympian. finalist, you know. He was putting out some big chat beforehand as well on the yeah. uh, people might have seen on social media. He was saying that he was the one to watch. He was going to dominate mm. um, all of this. So, uh, and, and he yeah. did, he, and, and he to took, honest, he took he it up. Was, for me, to me, for me, he was a big favourite on this race. That's, yeah, definitely. I thought, definitely. you know, he he was he was talking the talk, but with good reason. You know, he's an Olympian. You know, this guy is is fast, but he's fast on a track, and maybe that made the difference today because Chris Jones and um, his Welsh teammate James Hunt hit the front. Very surprising. Chris never normally hits the front. It's normally a little bit further back and builds into his race. But these two Welsh guys, bearing in mind we've not seen any Welsh vests near the front pretty much at all throughout the whole day, hit the front, control the pace. Going round a corner, Chris slips down on the floor, immediately back up again. <laughs> Andy Butchart's like, oh, maybe this is my time. Maybe this is my time. He kind of ups the pace a little bit and manages to get, manages to get a little bit of a gap, but not a huge gap over the rest of the field there's another Scott in there as well and kind of maybe five of them in the leading pack at this point and Andy Butchart goes out the front but he's not he's not really managing to get a big gap and then he goes down as well on some sort of corner and <laughs> you know mud flying everywhere and he he's down gets up and he's still I think he's still in the lead but you know what at this point we're thinking you know I think he's gone off a bit too hard a bit too early he's not really got that much left in his legs at this point he's looking slow he's looking like he's really really working hard for this and then surely little by little Chris and some of the other guys begin to eat up this this small lead that Andy Butchart has and then Chris goes along and he passes Andy Butchart and he doesn't just pass him by by a little bit he's running so much faster than him he just absolutely gets this huge gap makes it look stupidly easy and suddenly has this massive gap over this Olympian and it just keeps running away and you know he was looking looking uh, back a little bit in the last um, part of the last lap but managed to basically maintain or build on that lead that he had crossing the line in first place so oh it was great I was trying not to get too excited as I do well it's exactly the same as when I do international orienteering get excited when the Brits do well this is, happens British British cross country I get excited when the orienteers do well I'm like calm it down calm it down Kath. Um, but to be honest I tried to limit myself with how many mentions of orienteering I was going to do but my co-commentator Alex just kept bringing up the fact that oh they've got this orienteering background I was like yes they have got this orienteering background yeah, they do. let me talk about it again because I mean for me the biggest the most exciting thing is I can say on that kind of a national platform that these guys that are winning races, you know, they do this other sport that is orienteering that in order to do orienteering well, you have to be a great runner. You know, mm, this is not yeah. some poxy we're walking around. Look, these are some of the best runners in the country and they're also in this sport that's orienteering that they are fantastic in as well. So, you know, all of that hopefully is like chipping away at what I call like the myth of orienteering to show that it is mostly it is about a sport it's a timed sport it's about the running it's about the challenge it's about having a great time out in the terrain and um yeah if I can show that to as many people as I can then that's great 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. It's, it was incredibly impressive. And the course as well with how muddy it was and how sapping and the weather was just bad as well. So maybe that map, that played a part too, but just showing the strength of, I say, people who do other disciplines um, you know, and the benefit that it has for them in, uh, yeah. in cross country. So no, very exciting. Mm, indeed. Right. I think we're, it's time now for our main interview of today's podcast. So we're going to hand it over to Charlotte Ward. Well, Charlotte, thank you so much for joining us on The Run-In. I guess we'll start at the um, very beginning, which is how did you start orienteering? I started orienteering when I was very, very small, actually. Um, So I came to a lot of events with my parents when I was very young, um, but I don't think I ever really graduated from the string course or... Even even white courses, but that would be like following my mum and or dad around. And then I stopped orienteering for, for quite a while, actually, and I played a lot of other sports, mostly football. Um, but then then I started orienteering again in 2006. Um, and in 2007, I won W16B at the JK. So, you know, that's one of the highlights of my, of my early orienteering career. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's when it all started again. And I just got, I got into it um, and started orienteering a lot more and regularly. Um, and eventually found sort of urban and sprint orienteering was really more my thing than anything else. So, yeah. Yeah. Can you remember when it kind of clicked and you started taking it that bit more seriously? Yeah, so um, I always, when I first started again, I always wanted to be good enough to get on the summer tours and maybe even go to Jaywalk. But I don't, I don't think I really had the background or the the coaching that enabled me to get to that stage. And when I went to uni, it sort of, you know, it fell off a bit, and I did did some other things. And um, but then I spent my third year of university in Canada and uh, there was a good club there and I did a bit more orienteering and I got a bit better at running and then it's when I came back from there that I was quite a bit better at running and then orienteering and sprint orienteering just seemed to click and I just seemed to yeah fall into it again so and that was I don't know 2013 14 something like that and why why sprint what do you think maybe resonated with you about the sprint orienteering I don't know I think maybe I just understand it. I just understand the map a lot more. I mean, obviously they're they're more simple, so it's maybe I'm just simple. Um, I think it's I think it's quite mathematical though. Like from a mathematical background, like the shapes of buildings and and things like that. It just makes a lot more, and the colours make a lot more sense. I, you know, I've never been able to make sense of contours, so um, I think it just helps that. The, you don't have to use them so much in, in sprint orienteering. Um, and I just like running fast. I've never never found I was very good at trudging through the forest. So, yeah. What's the best place you've ever sprinted? Uh, yeah, that's a really hard question. Um, I'll tell you my favourite types of areas, yeah. I think I do really like university canvases because there's the, the mix of the buildings the urban buildings and you have some tarmac and stairs and underpasses and whatever but then there's also um you also often get big patches of grass and like little path networks and trees so somewhere like warwick university is one of my favorite universities 
to run around. Um, also, York University is very good as well. I think sometimes, I think they just look pretty as well, those types of campuses, because a lot of the time they have like a water feature or a lake or something in them as well. So uh, I think I get the most joy running around, running around those. Yeah. I think I like the, the difference between the buildings and sort of like open-y parkland almost, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think and I like the course that. that's like making you do a few of those kind of different skills. Yeah, exactly. Not something that's just um, that's just all the same. But I say that at the same time, I do love running around a good housing estate. So, uh, <laughs> but I will pick university campuses as as, as my favourite style. I think, yeah. Fab. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your running this year. You set a lot of yeah. PBs, I believe the three k, fifteen hundred meters, five k, and then also recently the ten k on Boxing Day, and yes, you were third yeah. in the Sheffield Half Marathon. If yes. I've got my notes correct. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. What? That's fantastic achievement this year. What's been mm. going right? I guess with to produce those kind of PBs and results. Um. So because this year for me was sort of a a non orienteering year uh well 2019 sort of especially the first at least the first half um Mm. I've just really wanted to do the Sheffield half marathon because I've been to out to watch it uh, a couple of times it's such a huge event with so much support um that I really wanted to have a good go at that and that was uh in April uh just before the JK so I decided that I probably I could do it but I didn't really know how to train. Um, So I decided to get a coach um, to help me sort of plan my running uh, specific training because I've never had uh, that before. So so Rob Baker was suggested to me um, as he's a ex-orienteer and ex-elite sort of runner as well. Um, Very good marathon runner. Pretty handy. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah he's, he's not bad. He's not bad. The second um, in Dragon's Back, I think, in twenty thirteen yeah. or something like that. Which, um, yeah, pretty impressive. Yeah, so we started sort of working together the end of two thousand eighteen and came up with a a training plan that I was happy with and he thought would help me, um, yeah, run well over the half marathon distance. And um, I think it was it was that having a structured training and the training plan I really believed in and invested in um that yeah got me got me where I went this year really uh, I think it's it was I just did a lot of very consistent training I don't think I did anything particularly special or yeah uh outstanding I just just ticked along and I just got more miles in uh, more running and did some specifics of half marathon sessions which got me the the time I was really aiming for so and then the other events just just followed after that Uh, I think I built up a good base um yeah so I think that's how it happened (laughs) had you made like as maybe detailed a, a training plan in previous years um no no definitely not um so in previous years I'd always sort of followed a similar structure but so for example like on a Tuesday I would just turn up to the track and do whatever uh, the session the group was doing you know on Monday I'd just go for an easy run I just followed a very like similar pattern I, I don't think I ever really stretched myself and I never really ran particularly far 
um, in one go. Like I never really did a very long run. Mm. Um, and I think so. I think that's really helped me as well. Yeah, sorry, I forgot the question. I was just rambling. Um, uh, oh yeah, have you have you had quite a um, uh, detailed training oh, plan yeah. in other years, like comparing the two comparing the two years, I suppose. Um, no, so I say this year is is a lot more. It was a lot more detailed. I had every every day was planned out in those fourteen weeks from sort of the middle of January to the Sheffield Half Marathon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had every, every day had um, had a plan. Um, and it was flexible, of course. I had moved things around um, to fit in with my week, how my week was going. If I was tired, I might might have moved a session or something. So it wasn't, it wasn't like rigid, but it was basically, it was just as I wanted to get in the key sessions and then I fitted easy running in around those and had a target sort of um, mileage to hit for each week that sort of reflected where I was in the in the plan and then obviously tapered down to the half marathon and yeah so it was it was really quite specific but it worked mm-hmm. really well for me so it's a structure I, I plan to keep um, for this year as well. Yeah you said you you believed in the plan did that help mm. keep you motivated to keep going throughout it? Yeah definitely um, I think because Rob has such uh, incredible experience um, and he was self-coached, so he's very knowledgeable because he managed to do everything himself. But I didn't feel like I would quite believe that I was doing the right thing if I just planned it out mm. myself. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think having having him um, sort of overseeing the the plan and saying, yeah, this is good, this is going to get you there, then, yeah, I just believed in it and thought, OK, I need to do this to, to run the time I want to run, etc. So, yeah. Yeah. And you did do some sprint orienteering last year which didn't oh, all yeah. go your way. Um <laughs> no. how did you fit that into your into your year? And um, what were your what were your kind of takings from those races? So yeah, I mean first goal was Sheffield half and then I wanted to spend the next few months focusing on like three K and five K. Mm. Um so getting a bit faster and then I thought, oh yeah, I'll really focus on the, the British champs. Um and then sort of the the World Cups after that. Um, so in following a lot of track races, I I got a bit injured in August. Um, so I spent two weeks not running, and then two weeks running a very very small amount to try and build it back up. Mm-hmm. And then it was uh, I think it was two weeks to the British champs. Um, so I sort of missed a lot of running and missed a lot of orienteering that I'd had mm. planned in that period. Um, yeah, and obviously the British didn't didn't go very well for me. But um, I think that the World Cups went better. Yeah. <laughs> I think we can say that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, so it was always in the plan to make the end of my year more sprint orienteering focused. Um, mm. And I really enjoyed it competing uh internationally on the international scene again um and it sort of you go there and it sort of brings your love for sprint orienteering back alive it was nice to have the break but yeah it's uh, always pleasing when you go to an event and you're like oh yeah I do really I do really like this <laughs> yeah I, like well, this sport. I, I guess one, one thing that comes into my mind about your international season is is the 
Swiss, the Swiss sprint where you were in the B yes. final, but you, know, yeah. you had a really good posting that was comparable to a lot of the times <laughs> in the A, and you would be able to, yeah. you know, see where you were on there. It was, seemed like a great run. Yeah, I was very happy with that one. I think it's because uh, I was a bit disappointed with my knockout sprint sort of the was it the day before I think yeah. um so I just went for yeah just a complete refocus a different sort of different approach um that worked really well um and hopefully I can remember what I did there so I can take that forward <laughs> <laughs> what did you do differently there um I think I was very very nervous for the knockout and I think mm. I just tried I think it's Im- always important to remember that you, I'm, you know, we're all there or I'm there because I want to be there and I enjoy it. Um, there's no one, there's no one making me go there. Um, I'm there because I want to do the best I can do for myself, not for anyone else. I'm not there to beat anyone else. I'm just there to do the best performance I can so I think I put that to the front of my mind that all I needed to do was you know run around and find the controls in the right order and get them all um (laughs) and that you don't really need to you don't need to put extra pressure on yourself to try and beat someone or or get into get a certain position or anything it's I think more it's more about yourself and your personal performance and how you deal with the challenges around you um I think that's something I struggle with is I can get distracted a bit so if I see someone in a race then I'll think oh that's that person who started a minute in front of me or something Mm -hmm. um so that's yeah that's something I tried to work on towards the when I realized that that was a problem towards the end of this year so um yeah, I think that's it. It was just a different different approach and it was more like I'm just I'm doing this for me and uh, how am I going to get the best out of myself and not worry about other people basically. Yeah. How how can you work on being distracted if uh you know what kind of things do you do to to try and minimize the effect of being distracted? So I think I try to I don't have like a cue or something. I know some people sort of have mm. maybe a like a visual or a verbal sort of cue, but I think for me it's more like, well, I guess it is a cue, but it's sort of a okay, just like have a have another check of the map or have a check of the control description. Sort of bring it back to yourself and don't get um, focused on the person that's that's just run past or or buy you or whatever so so bring it back to your orienteering so yeah check the description or just have another look at the map or or something that brings it back to yourself yeah Yeah. so with your um you know your pbs and some of maybe Mm. more middle distance does this speed give you some confidence going forward into this coming season yeah definitely i really surprised myself um i think with the 3k and 5k that I ran this year so it's quite nice to know that speed is there even though I feel like um, sometimes I I think I am better at that sort of longer distance and just like 
grinding something out for for a long time um but so it's nice to know that that speed is there but it can it can always be improved can always get better so yeah it's definitely something that'll be a, a bigger focus this year is so yeah getting even faster I think <laughs> yeah and and speaking of that so what does your your training and what does your season look like in the run-up to world champ selections and and other international races this summer um so it, it's um I've split my um, year so far into two 14-week blocks, which sounds, they sound big, but um, <laughs> within each of those, they're sort of broken down into smaller things. So it's 14 weeks until the JK and then 14 weeks from that until the World Champs. Mm-hmm. So the this first bit is all about sort of volume and cross-country running and build getting a good base and then switching into a bit of sprint orienteering before the JK and then post JK it'll be um, more speed orientated running work and yeah even more sprint orienteering and training camps um, to try and be sort of the sharpest I can be for for when the test races happen yeah um, mm. will you be going abroad for some of those or or just domestically uh, so for sprint uh, camps, yes, I'm going abroad. Uh, so in March, I'm planning to go to Bergen in Norway and then straight from there, I'll go to the the official WOC camp in Denmark, which is run by the organisers of WOC. So that should be that should be really good. Um, and in May, I'm planning to do another one of those as well. Because I went to one in October and it was very well organised. You get to run on nice maps and it's all done for you. And uh, you're in Denmark, so um, yeah. it's it feels uh, yeah, it's very relevant training and uh, good competition um, and good chances to learn. I think yeah. Yeah, I think hopefully there's going to be lots of other elites going to things like that, and you can get, yes, I hope be so. training alongside the best because mm. yeah, again, it's this the first sprint walk and like, everyone's try- really trying to you know throw all their training into the sprint I guess is there a particular is there a particular discipline that you'd like to do have you thought about what you'd like to (laughs) run at the world championships Um, everything everything (laughs) (laughs) yeah of course everything um yeah I I love the sprint relay um I love running first leg it's just it's sort of a unrivaled um sort of experience it in my opinion you does it doesn't really get much better than that orienteering doesn't get much better than first leg of a relay um but I I still feel like I have not uh got the best out of myself in an individual sprint final so you know it's hard to if I had to pick one it's very difficult to pick between those two so uh, I just I just love sprint orienteering so I'd be happy with anything to be honest (laughs) does that mean you're less keen on the knockout sprint I just feel like I haven't experienced it enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't got far enough in a in a knockout sprint to to know if I enjoy the you know the sort of the last two rounds. I've got to a, a quarter final. I've never got further than that. So uh, not in a, a big competitive sort of setting. So it's hard to say. I think. Um, yeah difficult to say I really like the runners the sort of the runners choice though um I do enjoy that um whether as a spectator or an athlete I'm not too sure but um (laughs) (laughs) 
No, I'm not. I'm not ruling it out. It's just, I just feel like I haven't had the same amount of experience with it, so I don't know if I like it on the same level or not. Yeah, I guess that's what I think a lot of people are going to be trying to find mm. out, trying to do yeah. as many as they can and trying to figure out whether it's a thing that they're good at. And, and as a commentator, that's what we're going to be trying to do is figure out who is yeah. good at it and what it means to be good at um, a knockout sprint as well. Mm. Yeah. I think I'm not it's sure. tricky. I was going to say, I'm not sure there's anyone that I know of who's really throwing their full weight behind it saying, yeah, I'm definitely just going for the knockout alone. I think mm. people are, are hedging their bets that bit to to make sure they're not kind of screwing themselves over almost by committing <laughs> to a discipline that's so new yeah not alone but we've you, we can start to identify some people like Vortek Kral who are you know already won two knockout sprints and you can think okay he's someone who knows mm. how to do a, a knockout sprint yeah he's, he's got some good tactics somehow <laughs> or <laughs> whatever he does work so yeah he he's uh he's safe with those maybe <laughs> that's really true um I want to get a little bit philosophical with you now if that's okay um and okay, i'll you, try i mean um what what do you think um i think like a perfect run um is very very hard to achieve if impossible probably um yeah. but a perfect run for you what would that look like and how do you think you'd have to orienteer to achieve it well i think <laughs> sorry it's quite a hard one <laughs> um yeah it's quite hard uh if I think performances I've had and if I sort of think about those and how that might translate to an answer I think probably either the world champs final in 2015 or the Switzerland World Cup uh, just gone were Mm. they're probably my two best um, individual sprint orienteering performances that, that I can think of um, and I think I did. I think I did say after the Swiss one to Murray, who was there, I was like, "That was." I think I said, "You know, that was as that was my perfect run, as like as good as it could be." You know, it can never be perfect, but it was it was very good. Um, and the components of that, I think, yeah, as I said before, for me, it's it's not getting distracted. It's um, always having a plan for where I'm going next and but not getting too far ahead of myself because I've fallen fallen into a trap there before I think um but also it's it's so hard but also not being afraid to stop when the time is right Mm. uh so I think if you if you feel like you're running out of a control and you're like, well, hang on a minute, I don't actually know where I'm going. I'm just running in this direction. Then maybe it's time to either slow down or if it's a really mm. long leg or really something really tricky, then you might actually think, well, wait, I need to stop here and work it out. Invest three seconds now rather than losing 10 or 20 on my route choice. Um, so, yeah, I think components of a perfect run for me would be um yeah not not getting distracted having being one step ahead but not more than that um Mm. and having a nice just feel like nice smooth like flow through the controls i think and is there 
Is there any kind of special routine building up to to that throughout the day beforehand that kind of gets you in that right mindset for it? So, say if it's JK sprint, you know, w- mm. what are you kind of waking up and doing on on the morning of through to or like going through quarantine and through to the race start? Yeah, you Does know, that I, change. Um, I think I'd probably do similar things. I tend not to have a very rigid sort of. Um, routine because I don't like the idea of something if you have a very sort of strict routine what if something was to get in the way of that somehow and that that could also almost put you off more than than anything else if your routine is mm. it is like is ruined for some reason <laughs> then then that could that could ruin your race so um I think I probably tend to do very similar things I try to you know, eat the breakfast that I like. I think that's that's quite a quite a big thing. Um, mm-hmm. Is to yeah feel like you've fueled well and with something that you enjoy eating. I probably try not to use too much energy, like running around or um, <laughs> obviously or like mental energy as well. Like just not don't try and think about too much. And mainly just think about the challenges that might lie ahead, so the area that I'm going to face. But, yeah, again, not put too much sort of stress onto it because, yeah, you want to think about it, but not too much. (laughs) It's a a fine (laughs) line, I think. It's hard. Uh, But, yeah, I don't think I have a very, like, rigid routine. Uh, I just sort of... I try and go with the flow as much as you can before a big race, I think. That seems pretty pretty solid to me the fact especially the not getting yourself locked into a routine before yeah. a race just because of what you can be faced with at quarantine because mm-hmm. sometimes it can just be a 100 meter long circle around a car park which you know, if you <laughs> yeah. do that 30 times to make sure you get your 3k exactly in that you have to yeah. work with then you're already yeah. kind of wasting that mental energy like you're saying just yeah, keeping you, it fresh and you've loose. got to um yeah respond to the the situation that you're in I think we all have a warm-up that we want to do um uh, yeah there's a there's a warm-up I want to do and there's always uh drills that I want to do and etc but you have to yeah react to the the space you've been given and sometimes it's really not a very large amount of space so <laughs> yeah it's you have to be adaptable maybe it's a good word to use I don't know yeah and um I want to move on. I think um, when we were chatting in Switzerland and China, you were saying you're at the towards the end of a PhD. Uh, I wish. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've done. I've done two years and three months. I've only got three years of funding, so my funding does run out in uh, September this year. So it it will be nice to hand something in at the end of September and hopefully start a job um, because I don't really want to continue doing my PhD without money coming in. So it's going to be very, very difficult to uh, <laughs> to finish um, in that time. But uh, I think with a, with a very focused sort of period in uh, July, August, September, then I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that I can get, I can get it done. But I'll have to work very hard. Um, 
a bit harder than I currently work I think (laughs) well so my question was that with that is then how do you balance that in with your training are you allowed to be reasonably flexible in how you work yeah uh, it's uh, incredibly flexible it's um, you can go away when you want like uh, it's not like having a job where you maybe have to put in your holidays or Mm. something I just tell my supervisor I'm going to be away here and then and for however long and it's great because you can take your work with you wherever you go I mean I'm not I'm not great at doing that but I think this year I will actually have to do that (laughs) and I've got got away with it so far but um, it's good it's incredibly flexible I could I could get in at eight and leave at three or I could get in at 12 and leave at nine in the evening or you know you can do what Mm. you can whatever you want your your office is is your own space and it's there all the time 24 hours but that's totally not me (laughs) I'm more of a like I'm more of a nine till nine till five sort of person so yeah it's very flexible and it's very good for training and competing so it's a perfect setup for me at the moment yeah yeah and um so then next i guess is looking for some employment with that and Mm. um a lot of the gb team not necessarily the sprinters but a lot of the gb team uh have gone abroad um is that something that appeals to you or do you much prefer to stay in the uk uh no i much prefer to stay in the in the (laughs) uk actually um i really like being close to home um i like spending time with my mum and dad a lot yeah, I, I just I just like being in the UK. I think um, I did live in Canada for a while, and it was it was fantastic, brilliant experience. But there's a lot here in the UK that I would want to would want to stay for. So um, yeah, I'm very much a, a home home girl. I think. <laughs> well, you you did though travel a long way to China for a Park World Tour last year and yeah, yeah. Uh, World Cups and stuff, um, which looked amazing. Are there any other places you'd love to visit with orienteering? Oh, I think, well, I've never been to Australia or New Zealand, so I think that would have to go top of the list because, it, it, I mean, Australia, it just looks like all the people that go there, Will, Will you can you can say this as well, they just have just yeah. the, the the most amazing time. Like, it looks yeah. incredible. Yeah, can recommend. Like, yeah, really good, just really nice people, really good training, just a nice atmosphere and environment to be in. Um so, and I think it would be really good to have a big competition there. I mean, this is the reason we split the world champs, right? So competitions could go to more exciting places. Um, so that would be good, but um, I'm not sure I'm Not sure if I'll ever get there or not. But it would be yeah. nice. That would be top of my list, yeah. There was a chat about them bidding for Jaywalk in the next couple of years. Um, oh, okay. I think Victoria possibly having it. Um, yeah. Or maybe even a Commonwealth match at the next Oceania Championships in Australia, um, <laughs> which is maybe 2022. Uh, I'm not sure. Which um, So having a, a Welsh, English, Scottish, Irish, and then all other uh, Commonwealth nations um, invited as well, match against the Kiwis and the uh, Australians. So if that gets off the ground, Charlotte, perfect excuse. Yeah, that would be very interesting, actually. I'll, I'll pencil that one in my in my calendar. <laughs> yeah, I might, I might have just thrown them under the bus. I think it was being spit, spitballed around at a pub. But, um, How yeah, the best think, they, 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 Yeah, exactly. They're quite keen to get a lot of people over in the next couple of years. So, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. See if you can get to that one because it is an amazing place. Mm, yeah. 
with with the split of what taking place, are you going to kind of focus your training very similarly to how you have for the last eighteen months of that of that split? So for the next coming years, go um, focus on cross country and running in the first half if it's a forest year so next year say 2021 so focus fully on the running and stuff like that and then bring the sprint back in for later in the year if there's a european champs or or something like that or are you um i guess with the european champs walk split are you going to maybe bring in a bit more orienteering than you have over the last um yeah 12 months or so um i think i'll probably next year I will probably keep it very similar to yeah what I've done in the past, as you say, eighteen months. Um, I really enjoyed uh, having a different target to focus on, so the half marathon. Um, I really, I just really loved the training for that. Um, I liked the really long. It sounds really weird. <laughs> I I liked the really long tempo runs and um, running at that sort of threshold pace a lot. Um, so I think it's it's something I want to have another go at again and try and be obviously even even faster than last year. So that's that's in the the back of my mind for yeah the start of twenty twenty one. So yeah, I think I would keep it the same, but you never know. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah. And yeah. any uh, any other road races lined up since since your um, kind of December smashing of all the PBs? Uh, any more <laughs> coming up? Armagh or anything like that for a yeah? A I'm I'm gonna go to Armagh again. It's uh, I'm, I think I've been I think I've been four times already. So this will probably be my fifth year in a row of going. <laughs> it's honestly just like. You don't. It's amazing. It's incredible. Like the atmosphere is is unbelievable. It's just a race where everyone in it wants to run as fast as possible. Like it's not. People don't want to beat each other. They literally do just want to run as fast as they possibly can, and that it that just makes it an amazing race. It makes you, well, it makes you run faster than you think you even can uh, I think sometimes um, and it's the setup so nice you get to they put you in a nice hotel and <laughs> you get to eat you, you, you know you get a nice dinner and lunch and stuff before the race um, you get to see lots of lots of really good athletes and, and things like that so it's just a great atmosphere so yeah I am I am going again this year um, for that just because it, it's fun um, I'm not targeting it in, in any way for, for a time or anything i sort of turn up and see what happens but it's just a great event to be part of so uh, i am going back to that um i'm planning just to do the northern cross country and the national cross country um and i don't have any other uh sort of road or yeah other running races penciled in actually they're the they're the only three um so far but i might try and find another 10k i uh, you know, I've always very competitive, and the the 10k could do with coming down a, a little bit more. I think. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, <laughs> is there anything else you wanted to to, um, to talk about, Charlotte? Any? You know, I spent like half the day thinking what you were going to ask me. So. <laughs> 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 um, and, we, and we asked you all the questions you thought we. Were yeah, I think ask. I think you've covered it all. Um, no, I don't think so. It's um, yeah, it's always nice to like reflect back on on the year. You've had so it's it's nice to have the questions and to to um yeah th- think about think about what you've achieved but then also yeah look forward as well so no it's been it's been very good thank you 
So that was Charlotte Ward there giving her us an insight into her upcoming season and what she did in 2019 and how she's been getting so many PBs recently. So very exciting to follow that in the next few months and see her build up to WOC 2020. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to move on to a, a slightly uh, meatier topic and discuss the impact of um, a recent decision by the World Anti-Doping Agency, that's, that's WADA, um, and its recommendations regarding Russian athletes and their impact uh, or their ability to compete on the international sporting stage across all sports, not just orienteering, um, which is is currently being appealed at the uh, Court for Arbitration for Sport. Um, But we're going to see just how that impacts on the Russian team in orienteering. So uh, it's quite a a large and uh, meaty topic. So I guess, Catherine, can you give us an insight into um, just what the IOF have been discussing and, and what's going on? Yeah, so the IOF Council Commissions and Office have been um, holding a meeting in the last few days and they've been discussing orienteering's response to uh, this ruling from the World Anti-Doping Agency and um, they've been discussing what they would do if the decision was upheld um, in the courts and if um, Russian athletes were to be banned um, competing internationally. So the, the IOF have said that Russia would not be allowed to apply to organise any IOF Senior World Championships event in any of the disciplines. But the three European Championships events that are already scheduled to be held in Russia, so that's uh, European Skio, uh, European Champs in 2021, and uh, Mountain Bike European Champs in also in 2021, uh, aren't going to be affected and they will go ahead as planned. Uh, they also say age category events, so uh, Jaywalk, World Masters stuff is not going to be affected. Uh, and in the presentations that they made at these meetings, um, uh, the council commission's meetings, they've said that athletes from Russia who can prove they are doping free may participate in IOF events as independent athletes. So that's kind of the same idea as um, you know you, people you might see in athletics. Mm. It's interesting that they don't mention the World University Championships there. Um, so that's being held in Russia this year, I believe. And th- there's no mention of that. So I'm kind of assuming that because that's run by the International Federation for University Sport, that that doesn't fall under their jurisdiction. But um, Yes, kind yeah, of- that would be my assessment because they're just talking about IOF um, organised yeah. events. So I do wonder if that event is going to be pulled from Russia or not so we'll have to keep an eye on that one moving Mm. forward yeah but i think it's not going to be another few months until um the courts decide what to do um basically with the appeal so that's gonna take a while i think for this to be resolved yeah but but the the if has put together the guidelines of what's going to happen or what they think will happen if the um, decision is upheld Mm. so i guess the the next question is for athletes to be able to compete they have to prove that they are doping free in order to participate in an IOF event. The main question that I would have is how would these athletes prove that they are that they are doping free? How mm. do they go about showing the IOF that they are clean? Because in orienteering it is a major issue. There is very little doping control that goes on at WOC or European Champs. It's normally the medal winners and then a couple of random samples from within the finishing pool that get selected for doping control so how would these athletes actually be able to prove this 
Yeah, that's a really um, interesting point. And I think it's interesting if we hark back to what Johan Runison said um, a few episodes ago, is that he thinks that the orienteering at the moment is doping free. And personally, I don't, I don't know anything that would disprove that. Some athletes, you know, you, you have a really minimal chance of being tested um, mm. at a major event. I mean, Will, you've never been tested, but nope. um, the IOF does handle its um, own testing at major events, but there's so many people that do that. And I think a lot of the the ways, um, you know, people in athletics have been able to prove that they are doping free is by doing a test um, from an you know, a non-Russian source, you know, a source that's more creditable, they do a doping test with them and they can prove, therefore, that they are um, that they are clean athletes. And a lot of those that are, have been able to do that are people who aren't kind of integrated into the Russian system. Maybe they uh, they live and they train somewhere else. Um, so it's, it's unclear at the moment uh, what the options are for Russian athletes to be able to prove they're doping free whether the um iof will be able to organize some tests for them to do that so that the iof can be satisfied because it's down to them to be able to decide who is able to compete as independent athletes as far as i understand yeah and this this is just opening up a whole minefield of of who can compete and who can can prove this because like you say there's there's not that many russians that live outside of Russia and outside of that system. Natalia Gamperla is one who lives in, mm-hmm. in Switzerland, but a lot of them, you know, they're part of the Russian army. They compete for the Russian army at the World Military Games. Yeah. How would they go about about proving this? And like you say, Johan Rinsman was saying that he's pretty confident that it's a clean sport. There's nothing to suggest that these guys are doing outlandish performances performances mm. that would indicate that they're doping. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm just a bit confused about how, how they do it. Investigations have concluded that there is systematic doping in mm. Russia. Whether that's a part of orienteering or not, we don't know. So therefore, no. the, the results from these investigations have concluded that, unfortunately, we have to assume Russian athletes are guilty of doping unless that they yep. can prove their innocence. So as long as the IOF provides a channel for these Russian athletes to prove that they're doping free, then... Um, hopefully we shouldn't have too much controversy no um with what happened to the sport in terms of after china and the the fair play policies there so i i guess we have to approach this with like you say russians aren't as as a uh culture aren't submitting to fair play across sport at the moment so um Mm -hmm. so we need to uh run through all of the wada's uh recommendations and uh let's see what happens there Yes, exactly. We'll, we'll wait and see how that happens. But interesting, Will, you mentioned fair play. Um, fair play was actually also discussed at this meeting of the IOF Council Commissions and Office. Um, and they were kind of discussing, yeah, discussing what fair play means and how we can um, ensure fair play, if you can yeah. ensure fair play. <laughs> so it'd be really interesting. So I read the presentations that they put up online. Um, so I don't know what was discussed um if you know because not everything that they've discussed will be written up um so but it'd be interesting will to get your reaction to some of this because they acknowledge that um if things like advanced terrain knowledge are going in the terrain beforehand can be a significant competitive advantage and quote comparable to doping in severity um so for me that shows that they that's part of them taking cheating like this seriously yeah yeah, no. comparing it to doping. 
Definitely. And I would say that they're probably accurate in that assumption. The amount of information that you can gain from going on the terrain beforehand is incredible. They open up the terrain before the world champs, especially for sprint, so that teams can go around and have a look so that it's fair. And that's because the advantage you can gain from having been on the terrain prior to the embargo is so significant that you need to try and make it um, as fair as possible for everyone else who's not been on there. Because if you think that you've three years out from a race, you've run through a town, you've gone through every alleyway, you know exactly where the sign over the alleyway, where the shop next to it is, mm-hmm. you're just going to look up, go for that and go down the alleyway. It's it, You can gain a significant advantage by going on the terrain beforehand. And if you are comparing it to doping, I don't know how you can prove that people have done it or mm. if there's, there's, you can't test for it but if they're comparing it to doping then there needs to be a punishment of equal uh, merit to a positive doping control as well I would say if you if you get caught therefore in the terrain then mm. you need to be punished in accordance with what would be a a missed doping control there's three kind of things that they've said this is what we need to do as a result of this and that is actually one of them um controlling mechanisms and sanctions as a deterrent um comparable to doping Mm. um they also mentioned a few things like um other ways of of um, cheating it's hard there's the line's so vague um Mm. referencing like gps and better mapping and analysis tools so you know i certainly know there's some software that teams have used for sprint orienteering where they're analyzing the they they can get a hold of a map or they're or in their training they're looking at the route choices and how long each of them's going to take and they really know in advance which is you know the quicker route choice they can do so much geeking and stuff beforehand that they've already figured out which ways are better mm. um one of the things is about these these sanctions um the other part to be interesting interesting to hear your thoughts on this will is about values-based education because they were saying that actually the presentation brought up questions about whether I, the iOS values are global, whether these values of fair play are global, or are they actually just European or Western? You know, we're assuming that everybody holds these values. So mm. therefore, I think what they're saying is we need to um, educate the whole of the orienteering community about these values. So they're proposing an e-learning for orienteering fair play with a content defined by athletes and to make this and anti-doping e-learning a prerequisite for the athlete's licence. What do you think? Um, I think it's a good idea. I think that um, it will force athletes to to recognise where they might have a different perception of what, yeah, like you say, of what is cheating. So if you take the crossing of the olive green, some people viewed that as okay. Some people viewed that as not in the spirit of the sport at all. Um, it was an honest mistake. You know, you can't disqualify me for an honest mistake, but you are breaking the rules. And that's a, there are cultural differences within Western Europe as well. So I think it will definitely lay out the rules of everyone who is signing up to race at this X World Cup or World Championships has done this learning and and therefore agreed that these are the values of the competition they are going to be running in. And therefore, if they break these rules, they will be disqualified regardless of their opinion or their um, their general view of what is happening. So I, I kind of like the idea in terms of it gets everyone on the same playing field. Mm. I mean, you get e-learnings at work that <laughs> you end up just clicking through to the test 
bashing through it to make sure it's done. You don't necessarily learn about the exact thing you're meant to be learning. And, and my theory is that people would just kind of get through it, go, right, yep, I've done that, no worries, I'm going to go and race now. Um, mm. So that that's the only fear that I have. I like the idea, but I... I yeah, whether it actually produces yeah. results is obviously a thing we yeah, don't Yeah, it's different know. matter. And, yeah. you know, and uh, I think we're again left with the the same issue that we can't often we can't prove if people have cheated or not because and I don't think you're ever going to be able to do that yeah Um, but I think something that maybe will help is the third part of this is which is as you've already mentioned will it's clear and concise rules and and making sure that everybody understands those clear and concise rules Mm, definitely and and I guess this comes down to even stuff like mapping because and this is going to go a bit kind of inside baseball but if you take the mapping of cultivated land in some countries that is um that's out of bounds you can't go in it in some countries it's fine to go through or in some you can just run on the edge of it so even down to the mapping styles Mm. you've got different styles in different countries which mean different things on a, a weekend basis when people are running normally um and it can't even be based on i guess the permissions you get from landowners so I think even down to that granular level of we need a mapping style and system which is consistent across every single country where if it's this symbol, it is out of bounds. It doesn't matter what the situation is. If you want it to be in bounds, you use a different one so that that Mm. is clear across everybody. And I think, to be honest, we need to start disqualifying people for this and, and being ruthless about it. You had it in the UK a few years ago where people were quite clearly crossing fences or out of bounds in the British sprint jumps and not mm. and nothing was done I think you mm. need to start with clear and concise rules you need like you said earlier deterrence of um, you have been disqualified and we're not accepting this because I've seen people run through Olive Green in, in the mm. UK and just ignore it and mm. uh, you kind of look at them and go what are you doing that is cheating oh I just didn't see it well that is your fault and therefore you need to be disqualified and there's yeah. no wishy-washy, oh, well, you'll learn for next time and you won't do it again and, and all of this. But yeah, clear yeah, deterrent, uh, concise rules. Yeah, I have to say, I agree with you. At a certain level event, you know, yeah, I've seen people crossing, you know, hedges that you shouldn't go through. And mm. yeah, I mean, at at, at British you know, Championship level, it's really, I think, personally, I think inexcusable. Yeah. But I, I mean, I think this is a, this is, as a start and it'll be um you know interesting to see where how you know this this topic is you know gonna keep going round and round yeah. for ages it'll be interesting to see where it goes but yeah. the IMF has said that China is still important to us they you know claim they've learned from the last three years of, of putting on that world cup and they they claim that they're still interested in investing in the country and they still need to finish evaluating what's what went on at the at the um world cup and then quote define when we shall go back with major events and based on what criteria so yeah it's not That'd the end of the orienteering in china but i think it, it they're not going to go back for, for a good few years no and i guess it's down to the organizers of how they approach the ios decisions as well because it always it always baffles me that let's take walk this year for sprint that you don't just embargo five towns and you go right these five towns are all out and we're not going to tell you where it is until mm. the day before 
I know people can go on council websites to see row closures and things like that. I know that's stuff that the British team has done mm. in the past to yeah. know exactly Multiple where it is. Teams but do that, yeah. Yeah, just, just embargo five different places because no one's really going to make five different maps. They can make a map of one area if they know it far enough in advance, but you're not going to map five different ones. So that at least removes some kind of element of of no controversy maybe they won't go to all five areas maybe they won't map all five of them so you're starting to move away from from the unfairness but um i think there's a lot to do on the athlete side as well i think we need to be stricter in terms of our self-policing um from what we see and what we do and and don't be afraid to to call it out if we see it um and it shouldn't be down to the organizers alone because it's a tough job well, yeah, I'm sure we will keep following this one as it develops. Um, yeah, it's not going to uh, end soon, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Um, so, Will, anything, um, any orienteering going on with you in the next couple of weeks before the next podcast? Um, yeah, I'm off to the Lake Strict next weekend for um, a bit of a mini training camp and then off to Portugal in February for a warm weather camp with EFK leading us. So just book the flights for that and uh, that should hopefully be 10 good solid days of um, orienteering in, in sunny Portugal. How about yourself? Um, I've got a um, few events coming up. Uh, the Southern Championships, which was postponed, so going to be doing some other orienteering um, instead of that. And that weekend will also include a meeting um, about the British Orienteering Championships, which are held down in, in the South later on this year, um, to go and have a little look at the assembly fields, what I'm going to need for commentary, and try and get my head around what's going to be happening with that. So, yeah, looking forward mm. to some some bigger races and commentating on those. Um, but yeah, I think uh, that's all for this episode of The Run-In. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with more uh, orienteering chat and controversy and insight from the uh, best orienteers in the world. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>